How many of you feel like you survived the holidays? Like that's the way you're like, I did it. I got through it. I survived. How many of you just love the holidays? You just like get amped up and how many of you listen to Christmas music year around? How many do that? God, yeah, because people are weird. Um, oh man, I hope you not have a holiday hangover. It's New Year's is what, Monday night? So Monday night, be prepared. It's the, it's the end. Now I won't be at my house. You can show up, but you'll be in the front yard by yourself. Uh, so anyway, New Year's is Monday night and then boom, we're into a brand new year and I can't wait to get started into a new year. Um, uh, like I said, I'm a little torn. I may, I may share uh, an individual message that first Sunday in January. If not, we'll jump right into a series called The Blessed Life. And then we just have a cool lineup. I've already got some ideas and thoughts, and God's been speaking to me about what we want to get into. And so uh, it's going to be great. So be a part of, of the beginning of the year. Make church a priority. Make, be, make being here a big priority in your family. And I promise you this, what you put first sets the tone for everything else in your life. It's a huge, huge principle. Again, it goes back to the principle of first. What you prioritize first in your life orders the rest of your life. So how many know when you put God first in your life, He begins to order the rest of your life? When, when the things of God, when church, when reading Scripture or is, is a huge priority, that orders the rest of your life. And that's all a part of how we want to start our 2013 in a great way. Can I get a, all right? All right. So anyway, well, hey, we are here and we are in the final week of a series called Instigating a miracle. This is a series that um, I've never heard anybody quite take this angle before. I've never heard anybody go down this line of thinking before. This was something that I remember where I got it from. I remember I was listening to a, a, a specific preacher, and he said one thing in one phrase, and that one phrase made my mind just go boop, 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 and I thought, huh, I wonder if, I wonder, what, and I've never even looked at that, and I, I, I was like basically just kind of urged to go on this journey, and the journey was, is I wanted to look at every miracle that Jesus ever performed, and as I looked at every miracle, I wanted to ask myself this one question, does God just do miracles just because he wants to do miracles, or does God do miracles because people instigate miracles, and nobody had ever posed that question to me. I, I never heard anybody answer that question. And so I thought, well, I'm going to look in and dive in and figure this out for myself. And so sure enough, literally from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, looked at every single individual miracle specifically by itself and asked myself the question, did God just, and do a miracle? Just of his own volition, of his own desire, of his own want to, of his own purpose and plan? Or was God kind of, provoked or instigated or urged or whatever to do a miracle. And what I found was is that the majority of them, there was an instigation that a human being did, that there was a principle in motion, that there was somebody that went out of their way to do something specific that caught the attention of God. But most of them had that. And I wanted to, to hopefully discover those and boil those down and, and to get those down into ways that we could practically apply them and then walk you through this journey because here's what we all know. We all know that we need God to answer our prayers. We all need God to move on our behalf. We all, and hopefully not too much of the time, but we all at some point are gonna need God to do something miraculous, something amazing, something that just blows our mind, something that makes a great story and a great testimony of how God came through for us. And here's what I know. I want to know how to, how to instigate God. It sounds kind of almost weird, almost maybe like blasphemous, like you can just get God to do. You can't buy a miracle and you cannot manipulate God. But what if God had set certain principles in motion to say, if you will do these things, I might just go above and beyond for you. And on your behalf. And what are the things that God would want us to do? And as, as we've gone down this journey, we've seen that one of the, the, really the foundation of all miracles is just audacious faith. How I many know faith is just one of those things? It's hard to measure. It's hard to put your finger exactly on. You kind of know it when some people have it. And you definitely know it when you feel like you don't got it. 
And faith is one of those things that is, is at, the, at the foundation of instigating miracles. But then we saw there were other things too. There were things like building an atmosphere of honor. That's huge. And if you don't have an atmosphere of faith and honor, man, you, you might as well throw that miracle out the window. Order was another one of them. And that's not a fun one. But literally having order to your life so that you can actually receive the miracle and not just receive it, but be able to keep it. Because if you don't have order, you probably lose the miracle as soon as you got it anyway. Authority was one of the issues. Of all the people in the Bible, one of them that Jesus looked at and said, you've got incredible faith more than anybody I've ever seen was a man who attached his faith with his understanding of how authority works. Again, one of the ones I'd, I'm gonna have to work on when I need that miracle moment to happen. And I need to work on it now and not wait till disaster hits and then try to get underneath God's authority, but get underneath authority now. And so we begin to look at all these principles. Last week, finally, in week five, we looked at the principle of courage. Some miracles aren't miracles of desperation. Sometimes it's just miracles of, of greatness. And the principle of courage just says this. If you don't get out of the boat, you never get to walk on water. If you don't try, if you don't take a leap of faith, you never get to see what God might do on your behalf. Today we will look at the final ingredient, and it is huge. Bow your heads with me one more time and we'll read the scripture and we'll read this final miracle that Jesus does for a person, not because of anything that they even did, but rather that someone else did for them. So Father, we pray, God, let us get into your words and God, let your words get into us. God, let, us, let it rearrange the way we think. Let it rearrange our value system. Let it rearrange the way that we handle our emotions and our relationships, Lord God. Help it rearrange everything in our life, Lord God, so that we can be lined up with your perfect plan, your purpose for our life, God. That's our prayer today in Jesus' name. Somebody say amen. 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 Turn to your neighbor and say, I need you more than I realize. If you got somebody on the other side, tell them, I need you more than I realize. Mark chapter 2, there's a story, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. The Bible says, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home, so they gathered there, so much that there was no room left, even outside of the door. Can you imagine this kind of a house? It wasn't like a, an event center, it wasn't an arena, it wasn't a big huge synagogue, it was a, it was a home, and they packed this thing out to the point where literally people are, are climbing up, looking through the window, they're busting through the door, it is a packed house. And so the Bible says in verse number three that some men came bringing to him a paralytic, and they carried him, excuse me, the four of them carried them, and since they could not get to him, or they could not get that man to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. Now, this is a crazy scene to me, and many of you have probably heard this story. This is a common story if you've grown up in church. There's, there's basically, this is the idea. We're in a home. It's so crowded, and we got our broke-down friend, and we can't get him to Jesus. So what are we going to do? Now here's a question. How do you get a paralyzed man on top of the roof? I don't know. But that's how determined they were. Yeah, a basket, you get a pulley system, you throw him. I don't know what you do. He's paralyzed and probably couldn't, you know, it's not going to do any worse. Um, but we know if we can get him to Jesus, it could be, it could be better. So it's just worth the risk. I, I, I don't know what these guys were thinking. I don't know how they did it. Maybe there was just a ladder. Who knows? So they, and then they realize, okay, we've got another issue. Uh, there's a roof here, and there's clearly no, um, there's no sunroof is what I'm getting at here. And so without a sunroof, they decide, and what did they use to open the roof up with? I don't know. 
They just start finding stuff. I mean, the story is really, really fascinating. What you see is incredible determination, uh, incredible just creativity to say, we're getting this guy to Jesus no matter what. To literally, you know, somehow get the broke guy up on top of the roof and then to figure out how do you chisel through a roof and then how did they lower him down? The same pulley system that got him up apparently they turned and used into a lowering. I mean, like, this is, you, you got to picture this. Don't turn it into a Sunday school story that's just too cute. Like, picture this actually happened, and how would you do this? If you had a broke-down friend, how would you get him to Jesus in this situation? Most of us probably just wait in line and be angry about it. But they, they went beyond that. And the Bible says, in verse number five, this is huge. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, he says to the paralyzed guy, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And so he says to them, why are you thinking these things? I love what he does to them. He messes with them. Which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or would it be harder to say, get up, take your mat and walk? but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he says to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this before. So here's here's Jesus The very early part of his ministry, he's a rabbi, he's a teacher, he travels from home to home, from synagogue to synagogue, teaching. And and in this moment, they drop down the paralyzed man, and and the Bible says when he saw their faith, he says, your sins are forgiven. Now, this story has two huge kind of theological dynamics. The, 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 The main one really has to do with Jesus being the Son of God. There's some people who will say, well, Jesus never actually claimed to be the Son of God. Yeah, he did, over and over and over again. He just didn't say it the way you and I would say it. He said it the way they would have said it. And so literally, this is one of those moments where he says, your sins are forgiven. And what do they call him? They say he's blaspheming. Because who can forgive sins but God alone? This is him saying, I'm, listen, I'm, I'm God. Not only that, he refers to himself as the son of man, which was their way of saying, hey, go read the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 7, the Messiah is referred to as the son of man. I'm him. I'm that guy. So he absolutely was claiming to be God and was absolutely upsetting the religious system of their day and totally throwing these guys for a loop because he was just not what they expected. But that's not even really what we want to talk about today. What I want to talk about is the first element that takes place. And go back to verse number five with me and please put that on the screen because the Bible says this. It says, when Jesus saw, everybody say their faith. So who is he referring to? Is he talking about the paralyzed man? No. Who's he talking about? The four buddies. Jesus says when he saw their faith, he looked at the broke down guy and says, your sins are forgiven, you should be healed. So here's my question. Did the paralyzed guy, did he have faith? We don't know. Nothing that Jesus recognized at least. We just know he went along for the ride, but he couldn't have done anything about it anyway. He was along for the ride no matter what. He, he was paralyzed. He couldn't move. If four guys grab you and you're paralyzed, you've you got no hope. You're just going along for the ride. And so the Bible says that Jesus didn't look at, at his faith. Jesus said they looked at, at their faith. And what you realize is this, and this is the main point and the main principle here is this, is that when your faith is not strong enough, it is the faith of those around you that will carry you to Jesus. 
One of the ways that you instigate a miracle is so huge because do you want your own faith? Absolutely. Do you want to create an atmosphere and take steps of courage and have an understanding of thought? Absolutely. Yes, 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 yes. But here's the reality. Sometimes times in life, especially when disaster hits, we're not the most faith-filled people in life, are we? I mean, many of us, when disaster hits, that's not when we rise to the challenge. Sometimes that's when we wilt the most. That's when we become the most fearful. That's when we become the most discouraged. We don't even know how long this guy was paralyzed for, but we, you know, this guy had been paralyzed for some length of time. And you gotta admit, that's probably kind of discouraging. And he's laid out and can do nothing with his life, but he's got four friends who have some ridiculous determination, hoisting him on a roof, digging through the roof, lowering him through the roof, saying we will do whatever it takes to get this guy, our buddy, to Jesus. That's some incredible faith. And Jesus said he saw their faith. Now here's a question. Did those guys ever give a theological discourse? Did they ever quote scriptures? Did they ever do anything overly spiritual? No, what did they do? They hoisted a man on a roof. They dug through the roof, and then they lowered the man down. What they were doing was, is they were saying this, Jesus, we absolutely believe with all of our heart that if we can just get this guy in your presence, that you can do great things. And like, that, that's faith. And see, sometimes we think about it, we think faith is some type of ethereal idea or some type of heart issue or, or head issue. Sometimes faith is the most practical thing in the world, and it's taking steps in God's direction, saying, you know, I'm just going to keep walking your way and believe that you're going to show up on my behalf. And it was so practical what they did. But again, it wasn't the paralyzed guy's faith that got him healed. It was their friend's faith. And the whole point is this, is sometimes you got to look back at the story and say, wow, if sometimes my friend's faith can get me a miracle, who are my friends and do I have the right ones? You know, because it, when it's crunch time, you want some friends with some radical faith. You want some friends who will go out of their way to help you get to Jesus. And this is what we see, this principle, this last one we'll hit on, is the principle of collective faith. Because sometimes, sometimes I just want to lay down. I want to be like the paralyzed guy. Sometimes, you know, if you've ever been through a bout of depression, you just want to lay down, don't you? You lose your job, you're discouraged, you just want to lay down. You got sickness in your body, I just want to lay down. My spouse did this, my wife, my husband, my wife, my kid, what, you know what I want to do? I just want to lay down. And sometimes we become like the paralyzed man. And our, what, what's paralyzed is not our body, what's paralyzed is our faith. What's paralyzed is our determination. Because when disaster hits, let's just be honest, it'd be easier just to take a, a, a pill here, a drink of this here, and go to bed, and go to sleep, and just, just throw in the towel. It would, has anybody ever been there before where you just felt, laying down is just easier? And what you want in those moments is for somebody who says, I don't even care if you lay down, I will drag you to Jesus. I don't care if you don't feel like it. I'm taking you to Jesus. I'm going to bring you to church. I'm going to pastor pray for you. I'm going to come lay. I'm going to douse you with oil. I don't care if you don't like it. Whatever it takes, those are the type of people that you want in life. And I'm telling you what, sometimes when you don't, because I just, I've come to recognize that sometimes I don't got it. So I hope and I hope and I hope I've got a few friends that do got it. Let me show you the scripture throughout, or let me show you this principle all throughout scripture. This is an interesting one. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 29. Now, Hebrews 11 is this, uh, is this chapter of the Bible. It's typically referred to as the hall of faith. It's basically this list of all these great men and women who were full of faith and did these great things throughout scripture, right? But there's this unique one that's kind of totally out of place. And I never noticed it before until reading this series and trying to get into this series. But listen to this. By faith, everybody shout, the people. 
Now, the rest of the whole chapter, it's talking about Abraham did this, and Moses did this, and Joshua did this, and all the, David did this, and this one guy slayed a lion. I mean, it's all individuals. But here it says, I, I need you to notice this as well, that by faith, everybody shout, the people. The people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after what? The people had marched around them for seven days. See, sometimes God doesn't react to individuals' prayers. Sometimes God reacts to people's prayers, which begs the question, who's your people's? Who's your people's? Who's around you? When everything's falling apart, who are the people that are closest to you and who is it that is surrounding you? Because those are the people that sometimes are gonna be the ones to instigate your miracle. Let me walk through a few of these ideas. Number one is this, is that this idea of collective faith, it, it covers so many different areas. The first one is this, is collective faith gets the work done. Listen to the scripture in Ecclesiastes. This is brilliant. This is what, this is what you need when you're moving, by the way. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up, but pity the man who falls when he has no one to help him up. This is, this is just some wisdom, isn't it? You know what it's saying? Don't be a loner. Don't try to do everything by yourself. Don't have the mentality that I'll just go it alone because when it comes time to move, you're gonna need some movers. Because you can't lift everything on your own. You can't do, I just, I just moved, I shared this with you, I just moved and man, I had some absolute flat out rock stars come and help me move. And had they not been there, because I, how many ever moved and not had enough help? Man, that's a bad day, isn't it? Whew, that's a bad day. I remember one time I was moving, this is a, I was actually moving from one apartment to another apartment in the same complex. Like it was a deal where like they were gonna raise the rent on our old apartment, you remember this sweetheart? And we were gonna cross the pool and go to the other side of this big building and, and we were gonna go there and so I call up and my buddy Steve was there and I got all these friends coming to help me out and I, I got this guy who's one of my absolute best friends in the world and he was one of the guys I called. And man, he came over. I'm telling you, I'm not lying. The guy carried two pillows and then left. Made like one trip. Didn't even carry anything heavy, carried two pillows. And then left. How do you know that's just not the guy you want when you're paralyzed? You ain't gonna get to Jesus. He's just gonna make you a pillow so you can still lay there. That's messed up, ain't it? What you want is, is you want some people that are determined. You want some, because you can't do everything on your own. Every time I get to ch to, to a chance to talk to like our volunteers, I always remind them the same thing. This church is not built on me. It's not. If this church is built on me, we're going absolutely nowhere in life because y'all are gonna be standing there while I preach to you. There won't be any chairs. There won't be any sound system. There won't be any apple cider or coffee. There won't be any children's ministry. There will be nothing. Nobody will be ushing. This is gonna be you standing there listening to me preach. We're going nowhere really, really fast. A great church is never built on just a great preacher. That might be in the mix, but I'm telling you, the truly great churches in America and the truly great churches in the world, they're built on great people. It's the people's collective faith. It's the people's collective work. It's the people's collective giving. It's all that that makes a church great. So just know this, that collective faith is needed to get anything done and anything accomplished in the earth. Collective faith, number two, is this. Collective faith empowers your prayers. Some of you pray alone, and you pray by yourself, and that's great. I'm here today to tell you that's not enough. And I'll read you the scripture why. Listen to this, Matthew chapter 18. Verse 19, again, which means I'm reminding you, I'm hammering this home. Again, I tell you, if how many? Yeah. 
Two of you agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. Now that sounds strange. Why would God say this? Why wouldn't God say, just you need to pray about that? Isn't that what we always say about everything? You should pray about that. No, you shouldn't. You should get other people to pray about that. And you pray about that and pray about it together. There's something about, about prayers and that collective faith that absolutely gets your prayers answered. And here's why, here's, here's the nugget of, of truth behind this, is that faith is the currency of heaven. Let me say that again. Faith is the currency of heaven. How many know on, on if you go down to 7-Eleven and you wanna go get yourself a Twinkie, which might be the last ones apparently. If you go to get yourself a Twinkie and you go up to the cash register and, and you say, I have faith, he says, that's fine, but you still need $1.75. Because faith doesn't get you anything at the 7-Eleven. Faith doesn't get you anything at Starbucks. It doesn't get you anything at Walmart. Nothing. But when you go to heaven and when you go to the throne room of God, the currency of heaven is what? Faith. So wouldn't it make more sense that the more faith you can get to the throne room and the more faith you can get to the doors of heaven and the more faith, because when you bring collective faith together, it multiplies, doesn't it? When you got dozens of people praying for your situation, it multiplies the faith that you've got about that thing. And then you're taking all that to the throne room of God saying, God, we're pleading, we're begging, we're pushing, we're prodding, we're moving, we're doing everything we can to get you to move on our behalf. And collective faith empowers your prayers. Number, whatever. Collective faith, this is, this is again, it's just one of those principles. Collective faith attracts God's presence. There's something unique about it. Here you see it again in the very next verse. It says, where two or what? Three come together in my name. There I am with them. Now, I don't know why Jesus made the rules this way, but this is what he instigates, and this is what he puts into motion. I want you together in community. I want you together praying with each other. I want you together fellowshipping with one another. I want you together studying scripture together. This is, in essence, why we do small groups, isn't it? This is why we have men's group or women's group or all these different areas where we can get together because God is attracted to collective faith. God is, is attracted to fellowship. He said where two or even three are gathered, I'm right there in the midst of them if they're gathered in my name. And some of you in your home, you need the presence of God there. I'm telling you what you need to do is you need to get some people in your home praying. You need to get some people in your home doing Bible study. You need to get some people around you because sometimes you're just going to be laid out. Sometimes you're going to feel lethargic. Sometimes you're going to feel like, I don't, I don't feel like going to church. You, everybody needs a friend that will bug them about church. Hey, where were you at today? I brought you the CD, and you're going to listen to it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you, you need some friends who are like, why weren't you at church today? Or, hey, or, can I pick you up? Or, hey, you know what? Let me, you know, if you're sick, let me come and help. You need people around you. This is the idea of collective faith because you need to be in the presence of God. If you ever expect to have a miracle happen in your life, you need to be in the presence of God. Somebody say amen. amen. Number four is this. Collective faith releases God's power. Ephesians Chapter 3, verse 20, a fascinating scripture. I've read this scripture probably a dozen times. It had never dawned on me what the very last word was. Now unto him who is able, this is God, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in. I always thought it was me. I thought God's power is in me and in my prayers and in my faith. And I read this verse, and I'm like, because I mean, this, this verse is like a, mm -hmm, now unto him who is able, shout, hey, I'm just kidding, listen, but, but like this is one of those, just shuck the corn, preach it, verses, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think, and then most any preacher you ever hear quote this verse will stop right there. 
According to the power that works in where? Is it in you? Not really. I mean, there's some, but there might not be enough. The point is this, is that the, the, the power of God works most strongly in where? In us. Just not in you. And sometimes we do that. Sometimes we go to the superpowered preacher and think, he'll pray for me. He'll get the job done. I know God hears him. He's super anointed. What I'm telling you is the power of God is the most powerful in the us. That's where it is. And so the question again is, who's the us? Where is your us? How is your people's? Is you're the type of peoples that attracts God's presence because you're gathered in his name? Are you the type of peoples that are, are bombarding heaven's gates with your prayers and with your faith? Are you the type of peoples that is working to advance the kingdom of God? Because that's the peoples that instigate miracles. And I'm telling you, when you get into an environment and into an atmosphere with other people, where your faith is collective, where your faith is multiplying, I'm telling you what, you will begin to see great things happen. Many of us are wondering, God, why didn't you do that? Or why didn't you show up with that? I'm asking you, who's your us? Who's your peoples? Number something. Collective faith is God's church. It, it, It is God's church. There's a big misnomer. Everybody say church. We probably shouldn't even use that word. It's, it's actually not an accurate word. It's not a good word. Really, it comes from Matthew chapter 16, and I'll read it. Jesus is, let, let me go to a specific verse, though, because Jesus is sitting down talking to disciples. He says, who do people say that I am? And they all have their ideas and what other people are saying. And he says, well, who do you think that I am? And Peter says, well, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, that's awesome, Peter. I know that you didn't figure that out on your own. My father actually must have shared that with you. And on that idea, on that rock, on that revelation, this would be verse number, eight, uh, verse number 17. He goes, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my, everybody say church. I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Now that's great. But the word church there comes from a, from a German word, actually. It was basically their place of worship, and that this is where we get the word church from. This is not necessarily the word that Jesus used. He used the word ecclesia, which means the gathering, which means that church never had anything to do with a building. It never had anything to do with an address or a location. It had everything to do with the gathering of people, the gathering of collective faith, the gathering of his followers. That's all this was. He was saying, I'm gathering unto me disciples, and when my disciples are gathered in my name, you're the gathering. You are the called out ones. You are the ecclesia. And sometimes we have this idea, well, well, I went to church on Sunday. Yeah, but you might not be a part of the us still. You might not be connected to the peoples. Because the question is this, is when you have need, who's coming around you? Who's supporting you? Who's believing for you? Who's praying with you? That's the peoples. And this is the whole idea that Jesus was saying. He goes, the gathering, nothing can stop that. The gathering, the collective faith, that's incredible. As a matter of fact, there's a story in Genesis where where these people are gathered. And the, the Bible says they're so unified in their purpose and in their language and what they're all about that God looks down from heaven and he says this. This is the story of the Tower of Babel. He goes, nothing that they purpose to do, nothing can stop them unless I go down there and stop them myself. Now here's the thought. What if you have that same principle where God wouldn't want to come down and stop you, but God was actually for you and on your behalf? That's the unstoppable force of God's 
people, the collective faith of his gathering. He goes, the gates of hell can't do anything about that. You know what's funny is I, I, uh, I used to take my son to the, um, to the zoo a lot. I, I enjoy the zoo. And so I remember getting to talk to the, the, the trainers at the zoo and the lion trainers. And we had this cool conversation with them. And I started asking them questions about, you know, what do lions eat and what do they do and all that. And so uh, I said, well, do they, do they, you know, giraffes? They're like, well, not really, you know, this. Or, I said, what about zebras? They must eat zebras. They're like, no, they, they have a hard time with zebras. And I said, well, I, I thought every time I see animal plant, lions are chasing down zebras or something like that. And said, no, actually, it's, it's really, really hard for them to do the zebras because lions' eyesight is so poor. So the stripes on a zebra, when they get into a herd, it's confusing to the lion. They can't make anything out to target in or track it down. They can't do anything. This is what she said. She said the only time that a lion can ever attack a zebra is if a zebra is out alone, completely by itself. And I thought, well, doesn't the Bible say that our enemy, who is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And I thought, this is what we end up doing sometimes. This is what we end up, we end up isolated. We end up alone. We end up by ourselves. And that's when the enemy attacks, or that's when we're left all alone, or that's when we, when we get laid out. We just stay laid out. We have no motivation to get back up. What you need is you need four people that will kick you and prod you and carry you to Jesus. Those are the, and, and guess what? They're irritating, aren't they? Like when you're laid out, you just want to be left alone. And they're irritating in the moment, but I'm telling you, if you will just trust me, you need some people that will poke you and prod you and mess with you and eventually carry you to Jesus. You need some people like that. I'm telling you, it, it releases God's power, his presence. It is this thing called the church. And so many of us, when we need our miracle moment, we are struggling through life. I, I went to the gym. I, I, feel like I, I feel like that was like an isolated moment, the way I said that. I went to this gym this one time. I like the gym. I, I, I have streaks where I'm really into the gym and then streaks where I'm kind of like barely into the gym. I, I'm, a, I'm a pretty faithful gym guy. And so um, I love, I'm a people watcher. Is anybody out there like that? You like watching people? I find people to be really interesting. And um, people in the gym are really interesting. And I'm watching this dude the other day. There's this guy in there and he's real strange. You can tell like he's not all there. You know what I'm talking about? Just all the wheels are not spinning properly. And, and, but he, and here's why I say that. It's like he, he was this black dude and he had this weird outfit and he had these long dreads and he'd like lift and he'd only like, blah, blah, and then he would jump up and then he'd run over to something like, bah, bah, bah. and anybody that does that in public is, is strange. So <laughs> can I get an amen? That's just weird. You don't do that unless you're Bruce Lee and he ain't. So, uh, so he's just, I just, but, but he's entertaining. So I'm, I'm working out doing my thing. And then sure enough, every once in a while, he'd be like, wah, 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 wah. and it was, it was really funny. And, uh, but anyway, I'm watching him and eventually he gets over to the, uh, to the bench press. And um, he's, he's a good bit smaller than me. Now I'm like a buck 85 and you know, but he's, so he's smaller than me. And so you can get a picture of this. And he puts on two 45 pound plates and it's a total of 225 pounds on the bench press. And I'm like, well, this is gonna be funny. Um, because I'm just thinking, I, there's, I don't think there's any way he's going to be able to lift this. And, and so sure enough, and he does the whole, like, he gets down, he does the heavy, breath, like, he's, like, pumping himself up. And he, and he, and, and, you know, he arches his back like crazy because he's like, ah. And I'm a good guy, you know, I, I only laugh for, like, a split second. And then I run over to him, and I, it's real weird, too, because then I got to get on top of him and then basically, like, you know, like, deadlift 225 pounds and it's just this funny funny scene that sticks with you but then I think 
you're not supposed to bench press heavy weight by yourself. And this is what life is like. Life sometimes puts burdens on you and puts weights on you and difficult seasons. And that's what some of y'all are like, ah! You got your, your back is arched and you got nobody. What you need is you need four people who will lift. He's a trainer over there laughing. You've seen that before, haven't you? He needs to call you. So, but many of us in life are like that. When the heaviest moments of life come, we're all alone. And that's why we're laid out. And we're, laid, we're depressed, we're discouraged. Our, our, our faith level is really, really low. Can I just be honest? I have moments like that too, where I literally have to stir myself or the best thing I can do is get around other people who will stir me up. Get around other people who are excited about the things of God. And when I hear their testimony or when I hear what God is speaking to them and I hear what God's doing in their life, it just gets me going again. And this is why we need other people around us in life. We need four great people who will carry us to Jesus when we are laid out. And this is, again, one of the misconceptions of typically Americans. Americans have a low sense of community compared to most of the rest of the world. A lot of that is based on how individualistic we can be and how well we can do alone in terms of providing for ourselves. See, when you're in a third world country, you need people or you don't eat, you know, that kind of a thing. You need people or you don't have a place to live or you don't have the ability to keep warm. And so because of Americans' individualistic society and pioneering mentality, many times we've gone this way in our Christianity to where we, we just pray alone or we study alone or we believe God alone and we, we're reluctant to share our struggles we're reluctant to share our issues. We're reluctant to, to share just what's going on in our life. And this is so radically different than the way maybe a Jewish community living in the day of Jesus would have been. Their prayers, listen to me. If you go read all the Jewish prayers from the time of Jesus, they were never individualistic prayers. They never used the word I. They always used the word we. They were meant to be prayed together in community. Think about what is Jesus' most famous prayer. Our Father, let's do this together. Let's go there and we'll close up and wrap up here. So Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches here, he, this is how you pray. I mean, he gives them the blueprint. Not that I want you to repeat this every single time you pray, but this is the blueprint. He says, this is how it, how it goes. Matthew 6, verse number 9. It goes, our Father. Notice it doesn't say my Father. I mean, I know he is, but we're praying together. That's our dad. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But look, notice this. Give, everybody say us. Give us our, our, our bread. That's not my bread. I don't even pray. I, you know what? In essence, we shouldn't be praying for our, my bread. We pray for our bread. I shouldn't be just praying for my needs. I should be praying for our needs. And forgive us our debts, because we're all crazy. We all have issues. Don't act like your sin smells better than mine. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, which means everybody done jacked us up too. We, we're all in this together. And do not lead, everybody say us. Don't lead us into the temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The whole point that Jesus is trying, I say the whole point, but one of the points that Jesus is trying to accomplish here is this, is we don't pray alone. We don't believe alone. We don't fight the enemy alone. We don't, we don't try to get God to move on our behalf alone. That your faith is always multiplied when it's gathered with other people in his presence, in his name. You've got multiplied faith instigating and moving the hand of God on your behalf. Everybody say, I need you. I need you. More, than I'd like to admit. More than I'd like to admit. 
That's where we all are. I don't have it on my own. I'm not always at the top of my game. Sometimes I get distracted or sometimes I get sidetracked or sometimes I get discouraged or sometimes, and I need other people who will encourage me, who will pray for me, who will drag me to Jesus. Who are those people in your life? And if you can't name two or three good people, because it takes at least two or three people to drag you. It's hard for one person to drag you, especially if they're a little person. You need a couple big people to drag you to Jesus. Who are the two or three people in your life that if you fell off the map, they'd come looking for you? If you stopped coming to church, they'd be like, where are you at? If you were struggling with sin, they would say, hey man, what's going on? Man, how can I help you with that? Let's get through this. Where are the people, if you're laid out in life, they would bring you to Jesus? Where are the people when the doctor calls and you get that weird report or when just tragedy hits your family? Who are the people that say, I am with you. I've got your back. I'm praying for you. I got everybody I know praying for you. We'll get through this together. We'll believe God for this situation. Who are the people? Who's your peoples? Who's your us? And what I want you to know is this, is that in this place, you might not know everybody, but I want you to know two or three of some peoples so that you can have an us. So when that miracle moment needs to take place, you've got somebody you can lean on. And maybe they don't go to this church. Maybe they're Christians that go to that. That's fine too. All I'm trying to encourage you is, is if you need to instigate a miracle, you need some peoples. Because God's power and his presence and his provision, for whatever reason, is not meant to be isolated and to be left alone. Every health study ever done will tell you that a person who is alone in life and lonely in life and isolated, and especially on purpose isolated, that they actually have a shorter lifespan than other people who are found in community and have close friendships. So literally, the level and genuineness of your friendships actually determines the longevity of your life. Isn't that amazing? It ultimately means this, you can eat broccoli alone and you'll still die quicker than people who eat Twinkies with their friends. You need, you need some peoples. You need some us's. You need some people who will throw you on the roof, find some tools, interrupt Jesus just to put you in his presence. Because like I said, sometimes you don't have the faith to get there on your own. You need some friends to carry you to Jesus. Let's pray this morning. Father, I pray God, that we would break the mold and break out of the habit and break out of the cycle of being isolated believers, being Han Solo Christians, just being out there on our own. God, I pray that we'd, I, we'd stop praying by ourselves and actually pray more with people around us, that we'd invite people into our home, that we'd be in other people's homes, that we'd be in every church group that fit us and that fit what we could do and that we'd be there connecting with other people. You know, here's a radical thought for you, and I want to share this with you as we kind of wrap things up. There's some of you in this place right now, and you're the minority. What you're, the place that you're in right now is you need a miracle. You need some other people to rally around you right now and to carry you to Jesus and to bombard heaven's gates with prayers. That, that some of you are in here, but you know where the majority of you are? The majority of you are not to play the role of the paralyzed man, but you're actually to play the role of the four buddies. 
that your greatest role that you could do right now is share your testimony, is pray for somebody else. Here's a radical question. When was the last time you carried someone to Jesus? And it could be that someone around you and you know they're struggling, you need to pick up that phone and call them. You need to drop by their home and visit them. You need to make the invitation, say, hey, would you come to church with me on a Sunday morning? I think you'd really enjoy it. And many of you need to play the role of the ones who are willing to go out of your way to bring someone else to him. And so, Father, we pray that we would be that people, we would be your gathering, that we would be the collective faith, God, that moves heaven and earth for other people, that, God, we would be the collective faith that shines light and hope into our city, into our job, into our neighborhood, God. Let us be the collective faith and hope and love let us be your gathering, Lord God. That is our prayer in Jesus' name. If you believe that, give me a good gospel. Amen. 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 Yeah, give the Lord a big hand clap this morning.